0: One of the challenges that we face every day as Christians to one degree or another throughout our entire lives is to love the truth. So I'd like for each of us to ask ourselves, not just today, but actually we ought to ask ask ourselves this on a pretty regular basis. How much do I love the truth? Do I love the truth more than I love my relationships with my family and friends? Do I love the truth more than I love my physical comforts and pleasures? Do I love the truth more than I love my own life? Loving the truth is a challenge every generation of God's people have had to meet, and it's one that will try every Christian. Today I want to discuss loving the truth and discuss some ways how we can accomplish that in our own lives. When Jesus walked the earth in the flesh, men were challenged with the question, what do you love most, God and His truth or something else? And as I said, this is something that every generation of Christians or human beings, for that matter, will be faced with. And when you prove something, you've got to really prove it. You know, years ago in the church, some people, actually the leaders of the church, were saying, You don't have to keep the Sabbath. It's not mandatory to keep the Sabbath. That's just something we do by tradition, but God doesn't really require that we do that. For some reason or another, not long, just a few days after that, I spoke to someone on the telephone in the church, a member of the church. It was this lady, and she was talking about this idea of you don't have to keep the Sabbath, and talking about her husband, and said, uh, yeah, he accepts that idea. He's proven it. He's proven it. Went to the Bible and proved it. Where can you prove that in the Bible? It's not there. There is no scripture that says you don't have to keep the Sabbath. There's nothing that even implies that in the Bible. But he thought that he proved it. And so he quit keeping the Sabbath. And they soon were off doing all sorts of things, and then they died. Is that what you want to happen to you? And, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with people like that, but I know what God's Word says about forsaking the truth, and I don't want to take that risk. So we got to be careful what we accept, what we believe, no matter who says it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21, it says, Test all things, or prove all things. As it says in the King James, Hold fast what is good. Acts 17. Notice Paul was writing about the people in Berea, and he said in verse 11 of Acts 17, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so search the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so I don't ask anybody to just believe me because I say something or because I'm a minister I don't want you to believe me because I say it just because I say it or because I'm a minister you should not believe it for those reasons Believe what you can prove in the Scriptures. And when I say prove, I mean you can see it in black and white. And it's very clear that whatever I'm teaching you is the truth that you can prove from your own Bible. That's what I want you to believe. We're given a number of warnings about believing fables. Over in 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 4, Notice Paul said here to Timothy, who was a minister, and he was telling Timothy what to teach the people. And he said to teach them not to give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. There are a number of other warnings along those lines in various scriptures. The Greek word fables here is from the Greek word mythos, which simply means fiction, a fictional story, something that somebody just makes up. So what this is telling us that we should not believe is truth, fiction. We should not believe speculative accounts, fictional accounts of what has happened in the past or what will happen in the future. And the truth is that almost all popular religion is simply fiction. It is people's ideas, stories they've made up in their own heads about what happened in the past or what will happen in the future or what God's nature is or what human nature is or what the nature of the universe is. Ideas like the rapture, heaven, hell, that is going to heaven or going to hell when you die having an immortal soul, all those are fiction, fictional tales and stories that people have made up that are not true. And yet millions of people, billions of people believe those things, that's their religion. But it's a false religion because it's nothing but fiction. It is fable. I was in the dentist's office recently and the dentist knows that I'm a minister and he asked me, was I still doing that, being a minister? And I said, yes. He said, well, do you believe something big's about to happen? Meaning, you know, are, are the walls about to tumble down around us as a nation of people? Are we about ready to see the end of the age is what he was saying. And I said, well, I don't believe we can get away forever with the kinds of things we're doing, do you? And he said, well, do you preach a lot from Revelation these days? And I said, sometimes. <laughs> he said, well, do very many people ask you about the rapture? And I said, no, not too many asked me about that. But he said, well, that's what I want. I want the rapture. He's placing his hope in a fable, in something false that's not going to happen. And I hope that he can see the light and come to a point where he understands the truth before it's too late as far as, say, being in the tribulation or something along those lines occurs. But that's what a lot of people are looking to as their escape, their way out, the rapture. They're not looking to repentance and God uh, providing for their protection and deliverance from the wrath to come Maybe they think that's how God's going to do it, but that's not what the Scriptures teach. It's a false belief, a false hope. It's fiction. Like so many other things that are believed in popular religion, including popular Christianity. And people think those things are in the Bible, but they're not there. Because if you actually study the Bible and you look at the Scriptures that are used to support those ideas, that's not what those Scriptures teach. And what people often do is they will take a scripture here and a scripture there and try to twist those scriptures to fit some preconceived idea. But if you actually analyze the scriptures, that's not what they tell us. That's why you've got to prove the truth from, from the Bible for yourself. And those who teach, for their part, have a responsibility not to adulterate the truth, but to teach it faithfully. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul said, We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now notice here that Paul mentions that he had renounced the mishandling of God's word, handling it deceitfully. And, of course, the implication is that there were others who were, in fact, handling God's word deceitfully, and there were, and there are, and there always have been, no doubt will be, right up to the end of this age. But faithful ministers have a responsibility to make sure that what they're teaching is sound doctrine and true and not deceitful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul wrote instructions to Timothy about this. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, he said, Be diligent to present yourself approved proof to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth rightly dividing or rightly understanding, rightly properly explaining the truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. In other words, a minister has a responsibility to faithfully teach the truth, not indulge in fantasy and fiction, profane and vain babblings and their message will spread like cancer. Himenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. So here was this heresy that had been promoted by these individuals named here, and some had already strayed from the faith believing this fiction that had been spread about. So a minister, any minister, has a heavy weight of responsibility to make sure that he speaks the truth and does not mislead people. And as individuals, we have responsibility to make sure we're not misled. And so we need to be going to the Scriptures to rightly understand them ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read why the ministry exists and it is to help people to not be swayed by falsehoods in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 says he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So the number one job of the ministry, you might say, is to instruct people in such a way that they will not be deceived and misled. And where they can discern the truth and not just be carried about with every wind of doctrine. God takes seriously the matter of anyone speaking lies, especially speaking lies in his name. Over in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 3. Zechariah chapter 13, and verse 3, here is a prophecy concerning God's kingdom, but it also relates to our age. As it says here, it shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, in other words, still claims to be a preacher, not necessarily telling the future, although that could be included, but claiming to speak, in, speak for God. If anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live. Because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. God's going to put the false prophets out of business. The people who come along teaching lies in the name of God. And they'll either quit or they won't be around any longer to deceive people. That's how seriously God takes it this matter of speaking lies in his name. Of course, the world today is full of people who do that. They're more than willing to speak lies in the name of Jesus Christ or God. We must not do that. And we must also guard against carelessly repeating gossip and rumors that may not be true. Just because you heard something about somebody or something that occurred doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And if you don't know for absolute certain it's true, you shouldn't be repeating it. We must guard against judging people unfairly. And often that occurs because we think we know something that we don't really know, or we have partial information, or we're guessing about something. And so we reach a conclusion based on guesses. We need to be careful about labeling people with uncomplimentary words, like is so common today, calling people Laodiceans or liars or similar pejorative terms. Now, there may be a time when we need to call a spade a spade, but we need to be very careful about labeling people, even when such labels seem to fit. And usually it's not edifying to do so. It may be necessary at times. You know, John, for example, labeled certain people liars, and, and Jesus also tagged people with telling them certain things about their motivations. But we need to be very careful about such things, especially using labels or accusing people carelessly and indiscriminately. Over in First John chapter 3 and verse 18, First John 3 and verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, he's saying let's not just make the empty claim that we love people, but let's actually do it in the truth. Let's measure our conduct, let's guard our conduct to make sure that whatever we do, however we react to situations that come up, is done in love and with concern for people, not just hearing some juicy piece of gossip or something that we can accuse somebody of so we run and tell it to everybody we know. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, since you have purified yourselves and obeying the truth, notice how it is that you purify yourselves. In other words, you clean up your life. It's another way of saying that. How do you do that? By obeying the truth. Through the Spirit. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. We have a duty to love one another. You don't love other people by spreading gossip and rumors about them, by denigrating them calling them in complimentary names especially when such is not justified so we have a duty to speak the truth and make sure that whatever we say to anybody is the truth number six is to hate falsehoods and then number seven is to share the truth we've talked a lot about preaching the gospel but that's something else you do if you love the truth you share it in the proper way To sum up, as Christians, we must love the truth, and our love for the truth will be challenged and tested. If we love the truth, we will seek the truth. We will believe the truth. We will love God's commandments. We will live the truth. We will speak the truth. We will hate falsehood, and we will share the truth. So if you want eternal life, love the truth.